0: You are listening to a blazing Caribou Studios production.
1: Take out the papers and the trash, or you don't get no spending cash. If you don't scrap that kitchen floor, you ain't gonna rock and roll no more. Yakety yak! Don't talk back. Da, 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 da. <laughs> the- I knew you were trouble the second I laid eyes on you. <laughs> <laughs> Excuse me. I just have never heard this kind of music before.
0: Welcome back to the Varmint's Podcast, where we do a whole bunch of research to educate ourselves and you, the listener, on all things that creep, crawl, slither, fly, jump, hop, and swim on this planet, one animal at a time. My name's Paul, and I am not an animal expert.
1: I'm Donna, and I am also not an animal expert. It's been a while since we recorded, but I'm still not an animal expert, and I really tried.
0: (laughs) I did, too. What happened?
1: (laughs) I don't know. It just didn't happen.
0: It didn't work. No.
1: Hey, today we're going to be talking about the yak.
0: The fuzzy,
1: big, pointy, awesome cow thing. The Yak.
0: (laughs) But first, the news. This is Varman's Headline News with your anchorman, some guy named Paul. Thank you, Matthew. Yak wool is the hot new trend in base layers for winter clothing. Now, we are recording this in February 2019, and in some parts of the United States, it has been cold. Yeah. Like record-breaking dangerous cold, and that means dressing in layers. Base layers are the closest layers of clothing to your skin. They keep you dry and warm, and they can be made of synthetic materials or natural materials, such as sheep wool, silk, and now yak wool. Cool. A company called Cora is manufacturing a fabric for base layers made from yak wool, which they say is 40% warmer, 66% more breathable, and 17% better at wicking away moisture than other natural materials because the yak lives in much more extreme conditions, and as such, it has a very cozy coat, which makes sense. Yes. Like sheep wool and silk, yak wool is naturally odor-resistant, and it is sustainably sourced from Himalayan yaks. So Tibetan herders formed a co-op, and Cora says that they buy their wool at a premium, giving those herders an income that they rely on. So... What do you think the downside is?
1: Mm, I don't know. The cost. Oh, they're really expensive.
0: They're really expensive. So I don't have to shop for winter clothes, but you probably sometimes do. So perhaps you can give me an idea of the pricing. Tops start at $125.
1: Well, I don't know if that is too expensive for what they are selling. Okay. Okay. These are, these are base layers for people that are going to be outdoors doing stuff. Right. Now, this isn't for people that are just commuting to work, right? It's, right. It, it's not for people that are just going to get in their car, warm it up, and go. It's for people that are going to be camping and ice fishing and skiing and all that kind of stuff. So it's not really – it looks like it's just thermal underwear, which is what people might wear just sort of if it's really, really cold – Mm -hmm. to wander around in but uh it's not it's it's really specialized equipment and i don't know if the stuff that you would buy in the other materials isn't similarly priced
0: so interesting i thought you would i thought you would just like fall down at that price
1: it's too it's expensive but for something like that you might be willing to pay the extra price i i just don't i don't have any education about what skiers and campers and all that kind of stuff what they wear underneath and it it could be that when you're talking about materials like wool really good wool and really good silk that maybe you get for quality stuff you get up into the more expensive area but I mean it's not the kind of thing that you would have multiple you know versions of so right and you would expect it to last for a really long time so if it's really well made and it's going to last for say ten years, um, then it's probably just fine, right?
0: Sure. It looks yeah. like
1: it's the kind of stuff that I feel like you don't you don't buy them once a year. You buy them once every few years. Mm-hmm. So they are expensive, but yeah, I, but maybe not illegitimately. So you know.
0: Yeah. So yeah, tops start at one twenty five. Leggings start at one hundred and forty five dollars. You can save some money by buying bundles, but if one of our listeners spends a lot of time outdoors in the cold, maybe they can tell us if that's a decent price, like maybe it is if you're spending a whole lot of time outside.
1: Yeah, and I, again, like I don't, I am just like our friend Toaf. I am a dedicated indoorsman, so <laughs> I don't really understand how much the things cost for outdoors type activities, but it strikes me that they are usually pretty expensive for most of that stuff. so
0: yeah, yeah. Tell us listeners.
1: Tell us. and we could hear from Clay probably. He goes well, I ice he fishing. yeah, but he knows how to how to get a deal on warm underwear yeah. <laughs> base layers or whatever. I didn't even know they were called base layers. (laughs) 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 Well, just a reminder, go to BlazingCaribouStudios.com for links to our audio and our show notes for today's episode. We are also on Twitter and Instagram at at atvarminspodcast, all one word, and at varminspodcast at gmail.com if you have questions, comments, stories, or suggestions. I run a Pinterest board for every episode, and... We also have varmints merchandise, so go ahead and plug varmints into the search engine over at tpublic.com, and you'll find all sorts of cool stuff with our little logo on it. If you like the show, why not tell a friend about us and introduce them to the podcast? We are everywhere podcasts are found, and word of mouth is the best way to help us grow.
0: And one more reminder that we would love for you to suggest animals for us to talk about. You can send those suggestions to us at varmintspodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to see them. We schedule episodes up to two months in advance, so it might take a little while to get to your suggestion. And episodes generally take two weeks to write, research, record, and edit. Living animals and current ecology only, please. Thank you so much for your patience. Thank you also to our Patreon supporters for giving us a little bit of support every month at patreon.com slash varmints. We really do appreciate it. And we want to give a special little shout out to Zoe and Sammy. They are listeners to the podcast. They have been rugrats before. You heard them on our chickens episode talking about their chickens. Well, unfortunately, they lost all their chickens. We're sorry, Zoe and Sammy, and this episode is for you. We dedicate this to you, and uh, we hope you're doing okay.
1: Yeah, we hope you guys are all right. Sorry about your chickens.
0: We hope you're doing okay, and we hope you enjoy this episode. And with that, let's learn a little bit more about yaks.
1: Let's do it.
0: Hey! Hey! Let's go get educated on some animals. I know you wanna. (laughs) So we are talking about yaks today. Yak is the common name for a large domesticated bovid that is found throughout the Himalayan mountain range, which stretches from Pakistan to China and then northerly through China, Mongolia, and Russia. A small population of wild yaks can be found on the Tibetan Plateau. You're going to talk a little bit more about that later. Yaks belong to the genus Bose, which makes them related to domestic cattle, but DNA analysis to figure out the evolutionary history have been inconclusive. It's thought that yaks might be more closely related to bison than domestic cattle. Yep. Yaks are heavily built animals with long horns that sweep out from the sides of the head and then curve forward. Males stand around six feet tall or two meters at the shoulder and can weigh 800 to nearly 1,300 pounds. That's 350 to 580 kilograms. So they're very stout animal. Females are quite a bit smaller in height and weight. They weigh between 500 to 550 pounds, or 230 to 250 kilograms. Probably the most obvious characteristic of a yak, aside from its horns, is its very long, shaggy hair that nearly reaches to the ground. Yeah! Like cattle, males are called bulls, females are called cows, and babies are called calves. But the word yak itself, which comes from the Tibetan word yag, is used to refer to both sexes.
1: I think the babies should be called yaklets.
0: (laughs) Yaklets. And so, (laughs) so let it be written, so shall it be done. They are now called yaklets.
1: (laughs) Yaklets. Look at the little (laughs) yaklet.
0: But it's kind of like how all cattle are called cows, regardless of sex they are that's kind of how yak is yeah yaklets I love it (laughs) yaklets talk about yaklets
1: found this awesome article about a study led by the Wildlife Conservation Society where they found that in wild yak societies it's the mamas that are the climbers they found that mothers with young venture onto steeper terrain at a slightly higher elevation than either males or females without young Huh. The authors of the study expect that this is a strategy to avoid predators and access more nutritious food. They are an endangered species in the wild, occurring only on the Tibetan Plateau and closely related, they say, to North American bison. The study appears in the June issue of the Journal of Mammalogy, and it reported that the wild yak females are found on mountainous slopes averaging 15,994 feet and in groups of about 30, whereas males were more frequently in the valley bottoms in groups of just two. Wild yaks are the largest grazer north of the tropics, and while weights are rarely known, they are larger than bison. That is crazy, larger than bison. Domestic yaks were once bred with bison in northern Canada in the 1920s to make an attempt at getting some more cold-hardy animals. They say in the study that the remoteness of the wild yaks' habitat gives conservationists an opportunity to study a species that has not been largely impacted by humans. Bison, on the other hand, have been greatly impacted by human activity and habit fragmentation. Their ability to range in higher elevations has been largely lost, Though skulls have been found in the Rockies above 12,000 feet in, in Utah and Colorado and Wyoming. Which is insane. I didn't know that. Huh. Yeah, well, we did a number on the bison. We have an episode yeah. about that. So go ahead and listen to our bison show, guys, and you'll find out the number we did on them.
0: Oh, boy. It's bad.
1: Yep, but it's interesting to think that they might have had higher altitude ranges in the past. But the lead author of this study, um, Joel Berger... That the Wildlife Conservation Society and the University of Montana said, Neither habitat destruction nor fragmentation are issues in the yaks' home in far western China, and so there are amazing opportunities to learn about why males and females respond differently to climate change and biological challenges. But more fundamentally, just as people climb mountains in the Himalayas... Because they are there, we here we have a throwback to the Pleistocene era. It is still here, and we, by uniting people from different countries, have the opportunity to conserve a species, not to mention an ecosystem, and a landscape that is larger than all of Montana and Nebraska combined. Pretty neat.
0: Wow. Very neat.
1: That's <laughs> so cool.
0: Yeah.
1: Oh, damn! 15,000 feet. That's crazy. That is insane.
0: That's a that's way up there. This week I'm going to talk about an adaptation that they don't have and why that's important. Ooh, yeah. Hypoxic pulmonary vasoconstriction, which is long so we're just going to refer to it as HPV. That is also the uh the acronym for human papillomavirus and uh, that's usually what people think of when they hear HPV. In this case, it's not HPV stands for hypoxic pulmonary vasoconstriction, so don't get confused. HPV is described as a physiological phenomenon in which small pulmonary arteries constrict in the presence of alveolar hypoxia. By redirecting blood flow from poorly ventilated lung regions to well-ventilated lung regions, HPV is thought to be the primary mechanism underlying ventilation-perfusion matching. So what the heck does that even mean?
1: Yeah, what is that all about? What is that?
0: Well, HPV is a defense mechanism. So our bodies and brains, like every other living thing, need oxygen to survive. Oxygen is taken into the lungs, which is distributed into the bloodstream, and then into the organs, like the brain, so that we don't die. In higher elevations, there is less oxygen. And when there is less oxygen in the air, HPV kicks in, Blood vessels constrict, and the blood flow is redirected to certain parts of the lungs that are well ventilated. This increases the efficiency of gas exchange between air and blood. So HPV is allowing you to get the most out of the oxygen there is in high-altitude environments so that your brain and your organs can function. But it is only a defense mechanism, and it's not meant to be used for long periods of time because you are not meant to be in places where there is no oxygen. Right. There is a point where HPV can fail and you get something called high-altitude pulmonary edema, which is basically where you get a lot of fluid in your lungs and then you die. Yaks do not have this defense mechanism because they don't need it. Ah. The region that they live in is always hypoxic, meaning the air is thin and there is less oxygen. So over several thousands of years, they've had to adapt to it. And the way they've adapted to it is kind of... uh, It's kind of anticlimactic. Basically, they have very, very large lungs so that they are able to take in more air, which means more oxygen. Their blood vessels do not constrict. And all the lung capacity is there.
1: Oh, so they they get full use out of their lungs when they are at these high altitudes? Yes. Is what it is. And they don't have to do these fancy shunting of of stuff from one area of the lung to another (laughs) for efficiency.
0: Yeah, they have to stay in very cold, low oxygen, high altitudes to survive. Because it is so well adapted to the cold, a yak will suffer from heat stroke at 50 degrees Fahrenheit or 10 degrees Celsius. Wow. So a lot of times we talk about adaptation as gaining a quality that helps you to survive long enough to make little genetic copies of yourself In a particular environment, because that's basically what animals do. But adaptation also means kind of letting traits that are no longer needed get selected out. So the yak kind of did both here. Over time, the yak added this adaptation of being able to breathe and function in low oxygen environments with these great big lungs. But in doing so, it also got rid of that HPV defense mechanism.
1: That's really cool. Yeah. It's interesting.
0: It's disclaimer
2: time. The Varmint Podcast knows it's not fair to compare animal intelligence to human intelligence, but then again, we only have the yardstick of ourselves to go by,
0: so we're going to do it anyway. Does being domesticated indicate that they might be somewhat intelligent?
1: I don't. I don't think so. I think domestication usually dumbs things down, doesn't it?
0: I guess so. We talked about that in the rabbits episode. Yeah. Like that the wild rabbits were smarter than the domesticated rabbits. Right. I couldn't find anything about how smart yaks are. Yeah, Yeah. I couldn't either. On a scale of 1 to 10, we're giving them a solid (laughs) 5 right down the middle.
1: It doesn't seem to be a question that people that take care of yaks care about.
0: No, they don't.
1: (laughs) So basically, everything I looked at with yak farmers... Or yak ranchers, I suppose they would be. They only talked about what they eat, how healthy they are, that kind of thing. Nobody ever talked about how smart they are. It just doesn't seem to be a question that that ever arises. They don't seem to be interested in it. Sure. Yeah. So I'm with you. I think we just give them a solid, just a, you know, eh, give them a four, you know? (laughs) (laughs) I think cows are kind of a four, so... (laughs)
0: Fair enough. We got to do an episode about cows. I love cows. Yeah, we haven't done
1: cattle yet. Yeah. Cattle!
0: We'll get on that.
1: We will. We'll do it eventually.
0: Well, we are going to talk about yaks and pop culture and a couple other things, but we're going to do that right after this. Hi, this is Mouse. I'm (laughs) Weens. We have the Mouse and Weens podcast. Mouse and Weens. I'm a big sister in San Diego with kids and I'm married.
2: And I have uh, no... Friends. I'm just kidding. No, I do. I have friends. I just don't have any boyfriends or love. (laughs) Anyway, Mouse and Wien's podcast. You just listen
0: to it. Yeah, it's It's not depressing. We talk about family stories, life and love, and kids, and all the things you're interested in. We promise. Yay! Celebrities in Hollywood, too. Poke your little turtle head out and come listen to (laughs) us. Mouse and
1: Weeds. Bye. Bye. Hey there, everyone! Paul and Donna are a couple of nerds just like you, and they don't get to see animals up close and in person very often. So let's talk about where we all see them most of the time on movies, TV, comic books,
0: toys, and video games. Well, it was Slim Pickens this week for pop culture references for yaks, even though they're really, really cool creatures. You would think there'd be more more yaks in pop culture, but there really isn't. So, what I've picked this week is a song by the coasters called Yakety Yak. We're gonna talk a little bit about the history of that song and about the men who wrote that song, and the song is just a little under two minutes, so I'm gonna play the whole thing. So enjoy Yakety Yak by the Coasters. Take out the papers and the trash! Sing along if you want to. Are oh, you don't get those no pending cash?
2: That
1: you ain't gonna rock and roll no more. Daggity, don't talk back. <laughs> <Your room. laughs> Let's see that duck car with that pool. <laughs> Get all that garbage outside. Why oh, you don't go out Friday night? Daggity, don't talk back. You just put on your coated hat. And put out the cat. song <laughs> such a fun song.
0: That song was written, produced and arranged by Jerry Lieber and Mike Stoller for the Coasters. Yep. It was released on ATCO Records in 1958. That song spent seven weeks as number one on the r and b charts and a week as number one on the top 100 pop list. This song was one of a string of singles released by the coasters between 1957 and 1959 that dominated the charts, one of the biggest performing acts of that rock and roll era. The song as you heard is the story of a teenager who would rather not do the list of chores that his parents have given him. (laughs) The, The Coasters are one of those groups that is still active in touring but they have none of the original members. Leon Hughes is the only original member of the Coasters that is still alive at the time of this recording, but he is retired, he is not part of the touring group. Jerry Lieber and Mike Stoller, now I'm no music expert and maybe you are not either, You might not know these names, but you know their music. So in addition to Yakety Yak, they wrote or co-wrote and produced some other songs that you might have heard of. They wrote Hound Dog for Big Mama Thornton. The cover version of that song by Elvis Presley is a little more famous. Love Potion Number 9 for the Drifters, Stand By Me by Benny King, a song called Kansas City which was written for the Beatles. I could go on and on. It's probably easier to list people who made music, especially in the 1950s and 60s who haven't recorded at least one lieber stoller tune than those who have. (laughs) In the mid-1950s, the team signed to produce records for RCA Victor in an innovative deal that also allowed them to produce for other labels, so this effectively made them the first independent record producers. All in all, Lieber and Stoller wrote or co-wrote over 70 chart hits, and they were inducted into the Songwriters Hall of Fame in 1985 and the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 1987. I love that song. I just came in possession of a big bunch of records, and I found out this weekend that I have the 45 of that song, and it is in really good shape, and I am going to play the heck out of that when I get a record player.
1: Well, back when I was a little girl in the 70s, the 50s songs were not um, yet classics, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. They were still being played on the radio in the 80s it switched over to an an oldies format but you might you might get those kind of things just as you were listening to the regular radio but you know now the music from our teenage years is in elevators so
0: (laughs) that's true it's depressing (laughs) but true
1: (laughs) i heard sunday bloody sunday in an elevator
0: (laughs) no you didn't
1: i did oh no elevator music
0: (laughs) oh no (laughs) Oh, why?
1: <laughs> it just makes me love the world more because it's such a weird place. <laughs> Speaking of weird things, I want to direct your attention to this really cool little cartoon called Yakity Yak, which is an Australian Canadian animated television series created by Mark Gravis that ran on Teletoon Canada and on Nickelodeon in Australia from November 9th, 2002 to December 12th, 2003. So, I guess we didn't really see it here in the United States. No, nope, I'd is, never
0: heard of it before.
1: Yeah, I had no idea. But It was known for its surreal humor and featured animation incongruous with Nickelodeon's typical style. The story centers around an anthropomorphic yak named Yakety, who aspires <laughs> to become a famous comedian. And his friends, Keo, an anthropomorphic pineapple, which is hilarious. Yep. <laughs> and Lemony, a young human girl. A modified version of the 1958 soul song Yakety Yak by the Coasters, in which children sing some portions, is used as the series' theme song. The characters in the show are Yakety Yak, who is a Yak student in Onion Falls Middle School, (laughs) (laughs) and the school's mascot, who wishes to be a comedian. He he works as the school mascot since his grandfather also served as mascot when the football team won the state championship in 1925. The football team, instead of the mascot, got all the glory, despite not having won a match since 1925, much to Yakety's distaste. He now lives with his granny and her boarder, Professor Crazy Hair. He wears a coat (laughs) over his bare body. His closest friends are Keo, who lives next door in Lemony. I love it. Keo is an anthropomorphic pineapple who is actually a human with a pineapple for a head. He is very intelligent, but he is camera shy and has stage fright.
0: Why is this cartoon not still around?
1: I don't know, but it's fabulous and you can watch it on YouTube. And I just, I mean, there's only one season of it, but I just, I jammed and watched every episode.
0: This (laughs) has Paul written all over it.
1: I couldn't stop watching. It was so fun. Granny Yak is Yak's grandmother. While she was a good sounding board in a parental way, she also has some of Yakety's impulsive genes. Lemony <laughs> is a blonde-haired human girl with a vivid imagination. Mr. Reginald Highpants is the town's <laughs> leading vendor of candy and all things with sugar. He also runs many small businesses. He, his cartoon, he's called Highpants because his pants come all the way up to his armpits. <laughs> 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 then there's Trilo. Yakety's trilobite agent and former circus performer who owns his own entertainment agency. He does children's parties for the characters and is always looking for money. His clients are Yakety, Fairy Wanda, and Chuck Damage. (laughs) Chuck Damage is a wrestler who he uses for parties. Then there's Professor Crazy Hair, who's a scientist and a teacher at Onion Falls High School, whose hair changes color like a mood ring, and therefore (laughs) that's his name. (laughs) He lives in Yakety's basement where he built a laboratory. And there's Penelope, who is a robot who works as Professor Crazy Hair's assistant, but lacks any social skills or confidence. Whenever she's embarrassed, her face turns red and she squirts out firefighting foams from her arms, transforming <laughs> into fire hoses, squirting everything <laughs> around her.
0: That is so bizarre. I love it
1: then there's Rondo, who is Lemony's football-playing brother, who is a senior in high school. He's one of Yakety's main antagonists, often competing for the spotlight. Then there's Keo's dad, who was actually voiced for the beginning by John Ratzenberger, who is a pineapple who can be bossy and rude at many times. And the... I, The uh, let's see. Then there's Miss Wanda Harper, who's a fairy who works as Onion Falls High School's librarian, and then Jackie Packaderm, an elephant comedian and successful movie star who is Yakety's idol. This show is crazy. It is so funny. Oh my gosh, I could not stop laughing at this cartoon. The clip we're gonna play you right now is one where Yakety's grandmother has made these hats, and they look like. They look like jester's caps with the three points and little dingle balls on the oh, end. Oh, sure. Little, little bells on the end. Yeah. So she makes one and has him wear it to school to show it off so that she can start a business. And he hates it. But Keo loves it. So he takes it from him and starts wearing it. And everybody's like, Where's, where'd you get that hat? That hat is great. Oh, my gosh. That hat's amazing. <laughs> it ends up getting super popular. And then everybody in town... Is wearing the cap, which Yakety calls the cappity cap. And <laughs> of course. It's the, the latest fashion. <laughs> but then somebody comes into the candy store with a knockoff that's just like slightly different looking with a little different shape of bells. And he says something like, well, it's just like, this is the Curpity cap. And it's just like the cappity cap, except you can't wear it in the sun too long <laughs> or, it, or it melts. <laughs> <laughs> and then... So he leaves, and the clip that we're about to hear is right after that happens. Okay. And all I have to do say at the beginning is, uh, as Heidi Klum says, in the world of fashion, your eyes are in or you're out.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's happened. The cappity-cap fad is now officially over. What? The knockoffs are here, fellas. No one's going to want to pay for the real thing. But we were just getting started. So you're a flash in the pan, so what? But that's bad. Flashes in the pan are bad. Well, then come (laughs) up with something else. Remember, fashion is about evolving. Can you help us, Mr. High Pants? Yeah, you know so much about fashion. I mean, come on, look at your pants. (laughs) Well, you have impeccable taste, and my expertise on the subject is unique and invaluable. Okay, I'll do it. (laughs) <laughs> to the street, boys, where the most influential fashion trends are born. It's time to get inspired! <laughs> a wide tie, out. All ties must be narrow, it's a fact. <laughs> Giant sunglasses, in, in, always in. Unless, of course, they're out, which they aren't. You try, yackety. <laughs> out! In? No, out! Wrong, but nice attempt. Let me try. (laughs) Out. And for so many different reasons. (laughs) Truly an assault on my senses. Call the fashion police. We have a violator. (laughs) Okay, good one. You'll get the hang of
1: it. (laughs) Oh, giant sunglasses. In, in, always in. Except when they're out, which they're not.
0: (laughs) How funny. I need to watch all of this.
1: This There's a giggle fest this show, so definitely watch it. I'm jealous of Australians in 2003.
0: <laughs> oh, man.
1: <laughs> uh,
0: that is great.
1: It didn't make that big of a smash, so I don't know. I don't know.
0: Well, you'd Mer- mentioned that it didn't really fit in with the rest of Nickelodeon's programming, so that's probably why it, uh, it disappeared.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Know. Yep. <clears throat> really well, funny cartoon.
0: And usually that's on YouTube? You can find that mm-hmm. on YouTube? Excellent.
1: Yep, I'll put a link to the show that I clipped out of, and then you guys can go back, and you don't need to watch it in sequence. It's not really what that type of show, so.
0: Fantastic. Yeah. Would you eat it in a box?
1: Would you eat it with a fox? Would you eat the fox? Would you eat it?
0: <laughs> I would have no problem eating yak anything.
1: Sure, why not?
0: Why not? The thing I did read was that there's not a lot of marbling in yak meat, so you have to eat it pretty rare, because if you cook it too much, it'll get really dry really quick.
1: Ah, if you cooked it long and slow, it'd be fine.
0: Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. And there's yak milk That's, that's drunk a lot up there. Yep. Up in the high altitudes. They make a tea out of it that is supposed to keep you nice and toasty warm.
1: Isn't there an alcoholic yak milk thing too? Fermented yak milk drink. I think there is.
0: I think there is. Yeah. Yeah. I'd, I'd... try that. Sure. Why not? Sure. Why not? Yeah.
1: I'd try it. Sure. I don't know if it'd wind up in the food box, but uh, yeah. I'd try it.
0: <laughs> sure. Is your brain a repository of useless information like mine is? Silly question. Of course it is. Well, let's help you win that next trivia night, shall we? Or perhaps we could just make you sound like the smartest person in the room. With this, the animal fact of the week. That guy almost sounded like that high pants guy.
1: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) He has impeccable taste. (laughs) Just look at his pants.
0: (laughs) All right. So Mount Everest. Yes. Big, majestic, beautiful mountain, snow-covered. Amazing thing, right? Yeah. There's a major, major problem on Mount Everest, and that problem is garbage and poop.
1: Oh, I thought it was a lot of dead bodies left behind everywhere.
0: Oh, uh, there's that too. <laughs> How many pounds of poop and trash do you think are on Mount Everest right now?
1: Boy, I have no idea. I couldn't even guess.
0: People estimate that there are about 200,000 pounds of garbage and human waste on Mount Everest.
1: Ah, uh, really? Yes. Yeah, I don't even know, like, what a pound of poop looks like. That's why I would have a hard time estimating. Like, I don't know. Like, well, what ha- one turd, one human, one average size human turd. How much does that weigh? I have no idea.
0: Because I am a repository of useless information, I do happen to know that the average human poops about a half a pound a day.
1: Hmm. So the whole day?
0: Uh, yeah, per day. Hmm. Well,
1: that's, that just seems, that seems, I'm trying to imagine now 200, what is it, 200,000 pounds of poop?
0: 200,000 pounds of garbage and poop.
1: Garbage and poop? Yeah. Okay. Well, that's still a, that's a lot of poop.
0: That's a lot of poop.
1: Yeah. Mm -hmm. And
0: as you said, there's even unrecovered dead bodies up there. And in fact, one of the bodies on Mount Everest is a poor person called Green Boots. And that person has actually become a landmark. People think they know who green boots is, but they don't really know they haven't been able to get a positive identification because they can't recover him. So he's just yep. green boots.
1: Yep and they can't because there's no oxygen up there. So you can't you cannot spend your valuable oxygen bringing back dead bodies right or garbage, I would think. So what's the what's the solution?
0: Cleaning up Mount Everest has become Nepal's biggest waste management project to date. So that country has taken several steps to at least reduce the amount of garbage up there. In 2010, a special team of climbers climbed 24,000 feet, which is about 5,000 feet short of the summit, and they brought back around two tons of trash and human waste. Oh, God. In 2014, the tourism industry in Nepal declared that anyone climbing Everest has to return with 18 pounds of garbage that is not including their own empty oxygen tanks and their own poop garbage oh yeah
1: well that that'll help that'll, that'll
0: help. help a lot and it's not a really it's not a new concept people who climb mount denali in alaska and mount acuncagua in argentina which is the highest peak in south america
1: mm-hmm. they
0: are also required to at least bring down their own waste in addition to whatever they can bring down of other people's In all three of those places, climbers who fail to appear at base camp with the required additional garbage face serious legal action, stiff penalties, including heavy fines, and even a ban on future climbing. So the base camp at Everest is called South Base Camp, and the elevation there is 17,000 feet, so the climbers can drop most of their poop garbage off there. And then there's a string of villages leading up to the base camp that the climbers have to go through. At 17,000 feet and scattered throughout these villages are 16 waste dumping sites, 46 trash cans, and three toilets. The poop in particular is a real problem because as it is making its way back down the mountain, it starts to thaw out, and if it isn't properly disposed of it can make its way into the water supply and it can make people very 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 sick. So where yaks come into all of this is In addition to all the things that yaks provide to the area in the form of meat and in the form of helping them do farming, they are also being used as garbage trucks. Oh! Yeah, and unfortunately they are just perfect for that job because yaks kind of live around the 10,000 to 20,000 feet range. So they're the perfect animal to help the native people get rid of all that trash and waste and get it to the airport in Lukla, Nepal where it is then flown to Kathmandu for recycling. Oh, wow. We'll link to an article in the show notes from the New York Times. There's a picture of two men standing in front of several dozens of huge white trash bags. Those trash bags are all from the Mount Everest area. And you can see why yaks kind of have to be used to carry all of that trash down. They're huge bags.
1: That's incredible.
0: Yeah. So yaks, they can climb great heights without expending a lot of energy. They can bear a lot of weight. And unfortunately, like I said, they're the perfect garbage truck But they are actually helping cleaning up that part of the earth So that's a good thing
1: That's really cool, yak, garbage truck
0: I did not realize how dirty Mount Everest was
1: Yeah, I didn't even think about it either But yeah, it would have to be if you think about it, you know Yeah Gross (laughs) (laughs) Humans are
0: nasty We really are
1: Yeah, clean up after yourself, humans Okay, so we mentioned early on in the show that they have found a little population of wild yaks in a remote Tibetan plateau. This is sort of interesting because they are endangered in the wild. This makes them less endangered than we thought they were. So,
0: Well, good. That's good news.
1: This is the same team of con- conservationists that were doing the study on the mamas and babies at high elevation. Mm-hmm. They're a team of... American and Chinese conservationists from the Wildlife Conservation Society and the University of Montana, and they recently counted nearly 1,000 wild yaks from a remote area of the Tibetan Plateau. The finding may indicate a comeback for the species, which was decimated by overhunting in the mid-20th century. So the team counted 990 yaks in a rugged area called, I think it's Hozil, it's an area called the Third Pole due to its Arctic like conditions.
0: The Pretty third cool. pole. Wow, uh-huh. cool.
1: Yeah. Wild yaks are the third largest animal in Asia, or mammal in Asia, second only to elephants and rhinos. Adults are estimated to be the size of bison, but because of the area where they occur is so isolated, wild yaks have never been officially weighed. That's interesting. Hmm. <laughs> So 50 years ago, the Tibetan steppe was dotted with wild yak, much in the way that bison went stretched across the North American prairies, which is crazy that their population could go down so far in such a short period of time. But many large mammals all over the world are in a similar situation. So, yeah. yeah. The scientists doing the study said wild yaks are icons for the remote, untamed, high elevation roof of the world. While polar bears represent a sad disclaimer for a warming Arctic, the recent count of almost 1,000 wild yaks offers hope for the persistence of free-roaming large animals at the virtual limits of high-altitude wildlife. He and his colleagues found that greater yak densities near glaciers, which often support adjacent food-rich alpine meadow habitats... There, that Less than 1% of yaks observed there showed color variation, and that's a good indication that hybridization with more colorful domestic yak cousins is less frequent yeah. than in the more peopled regions on the Tibetan plateau. Very little is known about wild yak biology, including how often they reproduce, infant mortality rates, the role that wolves may play on population dynamics... Their next steps are going to be to process the data that they have gathered to understand more about climate change impacts on this high elevation ecosystem, and to unravel a little bit more about the human-wildlife conflict in the fragile and little-known part of the world. The Joe Walston, the WCS Executive Director for Asia Program, said, For millennia, yaks have sustained human life in this part of Asia, It would be a cruel irony if their reward is extinction in the wild. And thankfully, we have a chance now to secure their future and give back a little bit of what they provided for us. Pretty cool.
0: That is such good news. That's awesome.
1: It is amazing.
0: And it's just, it's always amazing to me when we talk about an animal that is pretty well known. I think people know what a yak is.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: But the scientists haven't been able to study them and they don't know that much about them and they haven't really learned a whole lot. And I just think that's fascinating that there's still these well-known animals on the planet and people that, whose jobs it is to study animals still don't know how they work.
1: Yep. Yep. That's crazy, isn't it? No wild it. yak has ever been weighed.
0: Yeah. What? <laughs> <laughs> really?
1: That's mind-blowing sometimes. It really
0: is. It's like they're starting from scratch with a whole new animal.
1: Yeah. But on the other hand, they don't have to unlearn any bad habits from Victorians that gathered their information badly or told outright lies about them. Right. Like, which is a problem in some of the other animals that you, that uh, Victorian scientists, naturalists were, they would just make assumptions about things. And that became what we thought of as facts. And it's not necessarily the case. Right. It's kind of nice to be able to start with a clean slate, you know?
0: Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah.
1: Very cool. All right.
0: Well, thank you, everybody, for listening. We do appreciate it. This podcast has been brought to you with technical support by Matthew Chomo, bed music by Kevin McLeod. Our logo was created by Imran Javed. Our vocal talent today was Carrie McGinnis, Chris Brayton, Josh Hallmark, Chris Green, Jennifer Chomo, Stacey and Frosty, and Justine and Santiago. Our yak herder this week was Brisky Cawthon.
1: (laughs) Now it's time for the Rugrat Corner. If you have a Rugrat who is eight years of age or younger and wants to be on our podcast, send us a message on Facebook or email us at varminspodcast at gmail.com for details. We make it super easy for your Rugrat to hear their voice on our podcast. Who do we have this week?
0: This week we have Dexter. Dexter has something to say about Yaks. Woohoo! Hello, what is your name? Dexter. And what are we talking about?
1: Uh, Yaks.
0: We're talking about yaks. Yaks it is. What What can you tell us about yaks?
1: That yaks use their horns to defeat their enemies. <laughs> but they, oh. like, move their horns towards them, like, move their head down, then up, like that, like with the cheetah. I think they eat, like, plants. i never seen them eat meat. meat.
0: Uh, what either. would you say to a yak if you met one?
1: Hi. <laughs> <laughs> Me too.
0: What kind of music would you play for it?
1: Nice. Glad you <laughs> <falls>. <laughs> 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 oh, that sounds extremely adventurous. And I think I saw a video of them doing that. Of defending their young with their horns in exactly the way that he was talking about.
0: Yes, defeating their enemies, and they even have their own theme song.
1: Well, that's That's great. fabulous. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Dexter.
0: Thanks, Dexter. And that other voice you heard is Brandon. Brandon is one of the hosts of Trivia Geeks Live, which has come back to Blazing Caribou Studios. We're so excited about that yes. super funny little uh, trivia game show. Listen to it when the kids are in bed, because... Yeah, it's not for kids. It's not for kids. It's for
1: grown-ups.
0: Yep, it's grown-up humor, and it's very, very funny.
1: Man, your kid is hilarious, Brandon. He's great. Oh, my gosh.
0: (laughs) Thanks, everybody, again for listening, and until next time.
1: Hey, be nice to animals, everybody.
0: You've been listening to a Blazing Caribou Studios production. Support and subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com Caribou blazingcariboustudios.
1: I have a small dog that wants me to pick him up. He wants to be on the show. (laughs) But it's not the toy dogs episode.
0: (laughs) Hector has something to say about Yaks.
1: He does. He's looking in my face. (laughs) That's what I have to say about yaks. He would be afraid of yaks.